Two Guys, One Shaker Cup podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. All right, y'all. Welcome back inside a new episode of Two Guys, One Shaker Cup featuring Josh Shaw from J. Shaw Consulting, Ryan Buckeye from Fitness Informant. Appreciate you guys tuning in this week. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or watching via YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Stay up to date with Josh's beautiful face or beautiful voice, and I'm just kind of a filler. I'm here. But Josh, trucking along. Got lots of topics, and one thing that you said a recent podcast ago, which I think we want to say right away off the bat, is when you're listening to these podcasts, if you're listening to this in your car or gym or whatever, and you have a great idea that comes to you that you want us to talk about, shoot us an email, shoot us a message on our Facebook platforms or YouTube so we can write it down, so we can actually address it, because we want to welcome in people's ideas and concepts, because it just makes this more interactive and more fun for us, but the topic today is, is a hot topic uh, within sports nutrition, but not just sports nutrition, like... In general, like anytime you're a consumer and you purchase something, and a lot of times we're sale-driven consumers. We won't buy something, Josh, unless it's a sale. Like you go, for instance, like look at, um, I don't know, like a Nordstrom's or a store like that. Like that's that's pretty high priced. So typically you have a, a, a typical shopper that goes to a Nordstrom's who is willing to spend that kind of money. But you also have that atypical shopper that walks into Nordstrom's and walks right over to the clearance rack or the sales rack because they're sales-driven. So what we want to talk about today is like the perception of promotions as it relates to brand or product quality and how does that relate to you as a consumer and what does it really mean? Because I think it can mean two things. And in our field, Josh, you know what as well as anybody else, like if a brand is constantly running a BOGO, you and I kind of know what that's about. That's their pricing strategy and we understand about the product quality. But if they do it every now and then, like does that, does that water down the brand or the product in your mind? Yeah, no, I think um, we'll probably spend a lot of time in the categories that we deal in a lot, yeah. but I think it's important to note that this is this is anywhere you, you go. I mean, if you look at, especially you mentioned fashion, I think that's a good one where you have, you know, somebody like Old Navy that's doing extremely well um, financially um, over, I mean, they're just finally getting spun off of um, Gap and that's kind of the opposite where they're not doing very well. But it's, they, they if, if you shop at all at Old Navy, you know how many sales they have constantly going on and that's their strategy. That's right. the way that they kind of go about this. So this is, this is everywhere. This isn't just a, you know, sports nutrition thing. I think that the word or the phrase that you hear a lot in our industry, and I'm sure it's in other industries as well, is this race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's always the term. Like, I don't want to play this race to the bottom. That's their their phrase that they always use. And and um, it's it's everywhere. It's it if you look around, it's this idea that you know the barriers of entry have gotten much uh, lower. Those barriers of entry have created more competitors. Those competitors have driven down the average kind of sales price. So it's just kind of this perpetuation of, of what's going on. And I think, you know, to your point of what you were trying to ask here about, does that somehow relate to the quality or the brand perception? I think the devil's in the details in, in this particular situation, because you can play it in so many different yeah. ways. Um, we could take, if we, we we could do in our industry here, you could do like Redcon one. That's a good scenario because they are very aggressive on their sales. And yeah. then you have one like uh, maybe Ghost Lifestyle, which is not as aggressive on their sales on their direct site. I mean, they do run a pretty consistent sales clip, but not anywhere near where Redcon one right. is. 
if you look at those two brands, though, in our industry, I don't think he's going to look at either one of them and, and say anything very negatively about uh, quality or the perception of the brand. Um, and if they do, it's it's not all that often you hear about it. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I mean, I just want to, you know, you brought up Old Navy, and I thought that was a great point too. It's you know, anybody who goes through a business class when they when you decide that you want to start a business, you really have to take a place. Like, do you want to be a premium differentiated product, which is going to be premium priced every day? Do you want to be an economical product? Now, you can reach that economical product by basically two ways. One, you can do it through basically everyday low price, the Walmart model. Walmart does not have any promotions. You walk into a Walmart store, you'll never find basically, um, you know, a, a buy one, get one or a two for three. Typically, I mean, you might, but typically it's going to be everyday low price. That's a Walmart thing. It's they, they build in what they call trade dollars into the pricing system. So that way that you walk into Walmart, you will always pay less than what you'll walk into Target for. Or you can do the other, other side is like your pricing model is BOGO 24 seven, buy one, get one because consumers are, are, are attracted to that buy one, get one free. They love that word free. So if you in, in sports nutrition, see a brand that's constantly on BOGO or buy one, get one free, then I think it's normal to start questioning, like what is that product? Is that product actually good? Is, is the product that listed for thirty nine ninety nine, that business said to themselves when they built it, we can work on selling this for twenty dollars a unit. So let's sell it for twenty dollars a unit through sales. Bogo, buy one get one free. We'll list it at thirty nine ninety nine, but it's buy one get one free. That looks really attractive to the consumer, and they're still making x amount of points in margin. That's just their business model, and it works extremely well because most of the consumers are uneducated to not know that. They just think they're getting a really good deal. When when they're paying forty bucks for two products, basically twenty dollars a product, they legitimately are just buying a twenty dollar product. That's what that product is. I mean, it always has been. It's not a good deal. But then the other flip of that is like, say Ghost tomorrow out of the blue decides to run a buy one get one free. They'll never do it. Dan and Ryan would like shit themselves. They would never do it. But that then would not be a perception of brand quality because they did something one time. So I think that's very important as a consumer of goods. It's like to understand how often that product is on sale and, and what type of sale it is. And I, I like to use um, this example discussing this. And I talked to Josh before the show with this, but like Pepsi and Coke had it figured out when they first started running promotions in retail stores. It's like, okay, week one and three, Coke is going to be on sale. Weeks two and four, Pepsi's going to be on sale. The consumer started getting smart to that. So on off weeks, the consumer would never purchase Pepsi on weeks two and four because they knew on weeks one and three, it's going to be on sale. So the problem with running continual sales all the time, if that's not your your, your strategy, is the consumer is going to start to understand your basically like, what's the word I'm looking here for? Um they're going to start understanding like how often you're going to be doing these things and they're going to wait. They're never going to buy your product at full price. And if you rely on your product being purchased at full price, you need to be strategic about doing your sales because otherwise the consumer will pick up on that at some point. Yeah. The, I guess the, as a consumer, the closer you are to a category of products or the, um, the how fast you need to replenish those products mm -hmm. usually depend usually give you a larger set of like pattern recognition. You understand like how much a price should be, like what's the lower bound, what's the higher bound, um, how often are there sales, like what are, you can normally name more brands in those types of categories than maybe something you buy every couple of months or right. something like that. So those all kind of play in there. Consumers are always kind of having a subconscious type of like 
um, pattern recognition or sequences or things that they're noticing within their purchasing. And when a brand or, or some type of strategy goes outside of that, um, it then puts a red flag out there. It could be one direction where you're saying with like the ghost lifestyle situation where like they throw a BOGO in there, like that might be really exciting for people. They might, it might not throw off their perception because it's just so different than what they normally do. Or it could be the opposite where they're doing it all the time. And then people are starting to figure out, okay, um, you know, this might be too low in the bounds of like what I accept of a quality pre-workout. It's below this price point. I believe anything below that price point is not a quality one and it hurts the perception. Um, I think that by saying that though, people need to probably understand that that is like a living, breathing thing. That's uh, what maybe is something that would be considered expensive today might be not tomorrow and, and mm-hmm. the way as well. So I think those things are going to be constantly evolving depending on the market and supply and demand and all these different things that are going on. But the point I think you're saying, I mean, does any of this relate, like how, at what point does it get to that point where it starts to hurt yeah. the brand, you know? Yeah, I, I think to that point, I'm going to bring up, a, it's a real life story. So when I was at General Mills, I was brand manager on a, a brand called Cascadian Farm, which was a natural and organic brand. So when you think natural and organic, a lot of times to a normal consumer, the first thing that comes to mind is expensive. Like it's it's more expensive, it's premium, it's better quality. So for me, my pain point with this brand was consumers perceived us as private label for two reasons. One, our packaging sucked, but two, our pricing in stores was less than private label, Josh. Like our SRP in stores at sometimes was 50 cents less than private label. So then we were discussing, like, how do you take pricing? When you take pricing within that retail environment, it's not as easy as saying, we're going to take pricing because the retailer might not like that and they'll drop you. And if you get a retailer like Walmart saying, like, we can't afford that, then that's a big chunk of business you get rid of. But the other thing, too, was our merch calendar, our trade plan that we had. So I would get given to me a trade plan from our sale, from basically our coupon team and terminals is massive. But anyway, I'd look at it. And as we were trying to change the perception of the brand to be a premium quality brand with premium ingredients, I knew like a our our everyday price or our basically our average sales price needed to increase. We could not be less than private label. That was unacceptable. How are you ever going to be perceived from a consumer as being premium if private label is more expensive than you? It's not going to be possible. Even if our packaging sucks, we still need to be priced appropriately. And my trade calendar that I got that was given to me is every month, every month for two weeks there was some kind of sale, whether it be two for six. Or $1.50 off two. And the first thing I thought to myself was like, no wonder why people think that we're a cheap brand. Because we're giving the sh- we're giving it away every month. Every month we're giving away our brand, like, and we're paying for these sales, right? So as a as a brand, we're trying to fix this perception that these consumers have on our brand, and we're paying them, we're paying these these people in terms of like trade dollars to feed that perception. That's wrong. Like that's not what we need to do. So I needed to correct that. And part of the way I started correcting that is I took my trade calendar, and I cut out 50% of those sales. I said, we are cutting out 50% of these sales because I need to drive more people to purchase our stuff at, at our everyday normal price. I can't have people just basically buying stuff while it's on what they call merch. And in big CPG, like you have base sales, which is which is basically that's, that is the metric that determines the health of your business. Like your base sales are how many people are purchasing your product at normal pricing when it's not on sale. Then you have merch sales when basically says like these are new customers or customers buying only because it's on sale. 
And if your business is like 100% merch, your longevity of that business is going to be in a lot of trouble unless like that's your model. So this is a real life thing that happened to us in terms of running constant sales in which the consumer perceived us as less than private label. It's a real thing. And I just think like for brand, if your brands are listening out there and they're trying to figure out what the promotion strategy is, you got to be very meticulous in how you do it and be very particular in how you do it because consumer is not stupid. At some point they're going to realize like this is awfully like they're, they are merging themselves. I'll use that word or putting themselves in promotions to like make this seem like it's just free at some point. So then they start questioning Josh and be like, how can they afford to keep doing this? Is this product actually good? And that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. And you're, I mean, I'll expand on that a little bit to say that though, um, you know, that was a personal account on, on general mills uh, case. I'll say that though, because I cover so much on, on CPG portfolios, public companies and things, a lot on the last probably three um, or so earnings calls, three quarters of earnings calls, a lot of them were talking about raising their prices. One, because there's some issues with you know commodity costs Inflation, and tariffs yeah. and things like that. But a lot of them were talking about the, they've gotten so cheap to the point where they are either cheaper or right aligned with private label. And the perception of the brand has become so low that people think it's interchangeable the private label and the branded product are interchangeable and it's actually hurting the long term um, of their of their brand. Now, they're still kind of happening and there's still a lot of things that it's going to take some time to see if it's actually working. But, you know, Procter & Gamble and things like that have, have went out and said, hey, we need to raise our prices not only because there's some input costs that are increased, but we need to change it because we need to change the perception of our brand out there. People should be paying for the 20, 30, 40, 50 years of, of brand building, brand equity that we've put into this. People know when they buy uh, Tide or whatever that it's going to be consistent and we uh, have vetted it and done all these different things over the last 30 years where that private label, there's maybe not as many checks and we need to charge a little bit more for that. So that's kind of this decoupling away from private label because that's the lower bound of what people expect for the mm -hmm. price of any category. They usually peg it to a private label. Yep. So the case that we're talking about here is that you're, if you get too close to that and then you start running these like promotional schedules, then you're actually below the, the private label pricing and then it actually hurts you in a lot of cases because the people that were consistently buying you as a branded product because they thought there was a higher quality, they start to question that now. So you start to get in trouble with just being too consistent with that. Um, you know, we talked at the beginning of the show about just people loving sales. I'm one of those people, I, I if I'm going into like a clothing store or something, I, I hate to pay full price for anything. That's also probably just because I like to negotiate. So it's just, uh, it's one of those things where I feel like I'm getting a little bit of a negotiation if I go towards the sale uh, materials. But one of the things that one of the strategies I think, or maybe people don't even realize this is why they run specials and why specials and sales maybe are a little bit, um, a little bit that work really well is because especially today and how noisy it is and how much competitors and how much, you know, uh, so many people in the same space putting out substitute products, you need to always be shuffled to the top of the pile or what most people call like mind share. Like you need to have mind share as with market share. So like if you have something to promote, something new to talk about to keep that conversation started, uh, that is an important sales tactic. It's not necessarily always around um, spiking sales in the short term. It's also making sure people have your brand in their mind. Right. Uh, maybe they'll pick up, you know, whatever. So 
there's this element also where people, you know, I don't want to do specials. I don't want to, like, I don't want to, um, you know, create that effect in my brand. Well, what do you talk about on a month to month basis, especially if you're not launching flavors, you're not launching things, you're not. So a lot of these people are, are not putting in the time and effort to build a particular brand with content and all those types of things that are keeping people engaged throughout the month. So they, you need to look at specials or sales as an element of keeping the conversation going. I think that a lot of brands maybe view this race to the bottom being bad and it can be bad if you go too extreme with it, but there's a lot of parts about sales that can be used in a positive way. Yeah. I think it's, you brought up Redcon before and I've, uh, you know, that business model to me is interesting in our space because they do do a lot of sales. There's, there's no, it's no surprise that, Redcon runs a lot of sales that retailers don't necessarily love it, but they also are having consumers walk into their store and demanding that they carry Redcon 1. Why is that? Well, part of that is because the team at Redcon 1 is running sales, and it's mindshare that you just talked about. Like These consumers see the brand. There's noise there. They want the product here and now, so they walk into a, a vitamin shop, GNC or whatever, and they want the product. The second part of that, which is interesting that not a lot of people talk about, is say Redcon runs a 30% off sale and they're making... You know, they're making above break even, obviously, but like part of that, what they're doing that sale for is to acquire data. Like you acquire a new email address from somebody and you acquire the the information you need to remarket to that person. Chances are you're going to get that person to repurchase at a 10% off or at full price, whatever it might be like that for, for a brand like Redcon, they are a data driven brand. Like if Aaron and team there can get as much data on people as possible, he can make a ton of money because like data is, is so valuable to businesses. So if I'm scrolling through Facebook and I've never heard of Redcon and I see a 30% off sale or they just had a sale recently, a buy one, get one free, where maybe you know he's breaking even on something like that, he doesn't care because he's, he's walking away with assets from that consumer that he can then remarket to. And if anybody has on that Redcon 1 email list, you know you're getting remarketed to quite a bit. And that's, that's a great thing for his brand and what they're doing. And, and people look at Redcon from the outside, it's like, how does he do it? I mean, he's a data-driven dude, man. He even takes like classes on digital marketing. He understands the importance of that. So does that, does that mean that the perception of his quality is poor? I don't think it does. Like he's, it's interesting in his case or their case that, that you mentioned, no one's really questioning the quality of his products with the continuous sales, but you, cause they're not 24 seven, but they are quite, quite often. But then you know, you look at some brands that are maybe on BBCom, some legacy brands that are always buy one, get one free. And, and the consumers, it's like, that's that's a cheap product. That's not good, you know, or, or, or and it's it's amazing too. like just the other day, Josh, you participated in this too. A consumer saw a container of like C4 and hide at Walmart. And the perception right away was like, it's at Walmart. So it's cheap. It's garbage. Like that was because Walmart has the everyday low price, super cheap because of where it was sold is also another way a consumer perceives something as poor quality. Yeah. I mean, to go back to the discussion on a little bit on Redcon, I, I think that why at least particularly it works well for, for that situation is because they're not only using that as mindshare, keep conversation going like Aaron and the team over there seems to be doing a complete like blitzkrieg of everything. Like they constantly have launches of, flavors they mm -hmm. constantly have new products they constantly have um content they're putting out like unique new commercials they're always putting different things out so you're hitting people on so many different levels that um people maybe aren't even they, they're they're just really involved in the brand as a whole because the conversation is just so consistent yeah. so constant that's going on the 
Other thing to throw into this is that, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to speak for Aaron here, but I think that Aaron's been around in the game long enough to know that the life cycles of brands in the industry are not all that long. I think a lot of people, they have this like, I don't know, the default to this old, old thought of brands and they think, oh, it's going to be around for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Like how many, especially in the sports nutrition space, how many brands are around that long? Not that many. So kind of an aspect of like, get it when you can get it. You know what I mean? And then to your point about the data, that data is not just only great for that particular project. It's great for any other project that he wants to kind of put out there. He has that ability to now, you know, there's some legalities in terms of how you use it, but you know, you can, can somehow apply it in various different situations Mm -hmm. and it's fine. So that, I think that at least from a business strategist uh, perspective, that's how I view that situation over maybe some other ones, like you're saying with legacy brands and things like that. Like they're not doing anything else to like keep the conversation going. So the only thing they're doing is like trying to prop their brand up with sales to the point where then the consumer perceives them as this old, tired, uh, losing its luster brand that the only way they can get me to buy anything is like to do some crazy sale. Yeah. Think of furniture for a second too. I, I want to use like two two brands in, in furniture. IKEA, which everybody knows is fairly inexpensive. You know, uh, if you ever put anything together from IKEA, you understand how inexpensive that stuff is. It's frustrating. Uh, but then you think of another brand like Restoration Hardware, which if people listen to this have never heard of them before, it's like high end, high quality furniture. Restoration Hardware does not offer discounts, promotions. They don't even offer interior designers a trade discount. So while most furniture outlets will offer a trade discount of, let's say, 15 20%, like Pottery Barn, Restoration Hardware doesn't. They stand by their pricing. And because of that, because they take that extreme, where they're not running sales every other day like some companies do for the race to the bottom, they're extremely successful because the perception of that brand on the flip side is like that is – that's what people dream to have in their homes. They want stuff from Restoration Hardware. Like that is the, the kitchen table that they want because it's got to be the best because it's never on sale. So to the flip side of that, like within sports nutrition, if you can do a good job of telling that story of brand quality, you don't necessarily have to run sales. I mean, you look at Nutribio, who's a, uh, Mark Glazer over there. They're good friends of mine. They rarely ever run sales. They might do a Black Friday sale, maybe a Memorial Day sale but they'll never run like a 30% off on a Wednesday. They never do it. And people perceive that brand as being superior, high quality, but they've also done a really good job in terms of educating the consumer on terms of what they're putting into that brand. So there's a flip side of that too. Like you can, your promotion strategy or lack thereof can dictate the perception of your brand. And I think that's the big takeaway when we talk about this is like, if you're a business owner or a consumer, uh, uh, you know, that's sort of how you look. I mean, you look at like back to fashion, like Tory Burch or some of these other brands who really are never on sale. The perception is like great quality. I want that. I just can't afford it. But someday if I get enough money for that Rolex, I'm going to buy it because I can't get it on sale. So my question for you, Josh, is, and this is, we didn't really talk about this, but like if you're a brand, I mean, what would, you, what would you rather have? Would you rather have that perception of high quality, never running promotions and then try to think of my, doing mindshare other ways? Or are you someone that wants to do sales quite a bit to gain mind share, to gain the data, to gain cash flow? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because there's so many different like interlinkage uh, type of things to look at there. When you're kind of looking at like just like the most quality product and, and you use Nutribio, and I think that's a good example in our space just because I think uh, Mark, especially recently, has done a really good job at kind of explaining his platform. Up until that point, maybe people didn't really realize, even though he was always saying the same thing, mm-hmm. he just 
didn't have as big of a soapbox to kind of jump onto now is that he understands a little bit more about, you know, how to speak a little bit louder in social media and make sure that, you know, his brand uh, propositions are heard. But, you know, it took him a long time to get to that point and he had to be patient and true to like what he believed most in. I don't know if a lot of people have that patience level that goes involved with it. A lot of people just don't think about it when they're starting a brand. Initially, they think um, they only have a short period of time. They spend all their kind of budget money towards like front loading all of their inventory, and all, you know, whatever. So they eventually you might start out and say, hey, I'm not going to run specials. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this because um, you're going to hold true to like what you believe. And then all of a sudden you realize you don't have any more money coming in your cash flows. You're, you got a burn rate, you, you know, whatever. Your backs against the wall. People change very quickly because they didn't build it at the beginning the right way from a cash perspective to like have some extra stuff to run the business for the next 12 months to maybe build out a lot of the stuff you're talking about like content and different things to be able to like tell that story about your brand because it takes a while especially like going back to like the noisy environment we're in now like it takes 5 10 15 times people hearing something before they understand it and, and actually see it because just because you posted to your Facebook account doesn't mean that the 100,000 people that are on there, all of them saw it. It might take you a lot of times in telling them a bunch of different ways to actually get to the people that you want it to get to. So there's this patience element now that kind of counteracts to um, what you were talking about the first situation. And that's why most people are, are kind of going towards this race to the bottom because they just need to keep the funds rolling and they need to do whatever they need to do. And they're not really thinking more long-term um, impatience mm. that goes along with it. So it's probably the nature of the industry because most of the industry is not well capitalized. It's not built to be patient. Um, it's also, there's not a lot of people that have that kind of long-term quality situation where they're like really standing on like this, these pillars of like what they want to do. They might play around it a little bit, but nobody's like true to it to the core that right. that's what they're going to be. So what ends up happening is they might, dabble in it and put their toe in it and say, Hey, this is how I'm going to start my brand. But then in three months, they just completely flip because they need to make money. Yeah. And then they go the opposite direction. That's why most people go towards that other, um, that other direction. So I say, if you do have the ability to be patient, I mean, it's great to go in that other direction be able to be true to yourself and keep that brand story going and keep the equity getting built up over just, you know, eroding it. Right. But I would say more than a lot of people are going to go in the opposite direction because they just, um, you know, that's just the nature of our industry at this point. Mm. Um, and it's just the nature maybe of just business now where you have the low barriers of entry of all these things that are getting the people in there on the long tail, the people that don't have the money and stuff and they don't maybe have the know-how business. They just go straight toward the uh, discounts. Yeah. And I think too, in our space, there's not particularly a, a, a way to have a status symbol. And what I mean by that is we talked about Brands outside of sports nutrition that don't discount, Restoration Hardware, Tesla, Rolex, like you wear that, you drive that, you have that in your home. That's a status symbol. Like the lifespan of that particular object that you spend money on that you're not getting at a discount is a lot longer than a tub of pre-workout that has 30 servings in it. So after that tub of pre-workout, that 30 servings is over, you're back to, you know, and if I walk into the gym with my Nutribio pre-extreme pre-workout, people aren't looking at me differently. You know, no, no offense to the team at Nutribio. No one in my gym is going to look at me and be like, oh man. That guy's cool. But if I drive a Tesla to the gym, people are looking at me thinking like, oh man, that guy's cool. You know, so 
if you're able to somehow create a status symbol type of a product in the space, like that's one thing, but I think that's absent in the space. So therefore it's hard to be a brand that never does a sale because you need that. And I mean, you can do it. It's, it's, you can do it, but it's not as easy as say like Tesla saying like, this is your sticker price. You bill it. You're going to pay that. We're not going to give you any discounts. We don't, we don't necessarily have that in this space. And if we do correct me if I'm wrong, I just, I don't see any brand having that type of, status symbol to that extent to where they could never run a single sale and be, you know, and, and survive. Like that means no coupon codes, no Memorial Day, no Black Friday. I don't think I've ever seen a brand out there that doesn't have at least one of those three. Yeah, I mean, probably I mean, people that are going to point to this um, is probably before our time is probably going to say maybe like EAS or something. Now, obviously, I don't know if they did promotions like through the magazine or mail or, or things like that when they were running those types of things. But even you go, there's there's been certain like phases of the like, closest thing to our brand that would be like cooler if you have it in your gym bag or in your supplement cabinet that you are that person. You have kind of went EAS, then it went BSN, then it went Muscle Farm. And then now you can kind of say it's kind of between maybe um redcon and, and ghost in a certain sense like those two have like this more appeal to like mm-hmm. like people know of them in a certain sense like, i mean you mentioned like Nutribio, and i think that um they're not as maybe as flashy and things so people wouldn't know um but yeah i mean but today none of those brands it doesn't matter even muscle like when i was at muscle farm we ran a ton of specials mm-hmm. and that was just part of the game um and i think that that's always going to be continue i don't know if anybody's going to be able to come into the space and just be like not running any specials. You got to buy it for what it is, and this is how it goes. I'm sure there's people that come out the gate and say those types of things, but I, I guarantee they'll change their their tune pretty quickly because um, they eventually need to do something that's going to stand out. Yeah, there's no Rolex in supplements at this point. I mean, that that, that I can see that consumers are willing to pay full price for 24 seven. It just does because I think we become so accustomed in this space too to constantly having these sales that people just expect it. Um, and, and that's not to say people expect it in clothing, people expect it in jewelry, all that things, but there are certain brands outside this industry that can do it and do it well and make a good, I mean, now you look at Tesla, like they haven't turned a profit in what, like eight years or something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's not saying like it's the best model in the world, but, um, you know, there's just, again, there's not that longevity of a sports nutrition stuff. And now I guess like if you walk into the gym with a ghost product all the time, you might feel cool, you might look cool, but I don't necessarily know anybody looks at you and says like, I want to be him, I want that. I, I just don't think that exists. So I think that sales need to be part of your business strategy, but you look at some of the brands too where they're direct to consumer model, right? Their prices on their website sometimes are inflated or high to equate for those 20% off coupon codes that they put out there. So their strategy is like, we're gonna run sales, maybe we won't be as aggressive as Redcon 1, but we're gonna pad our margin with our website price that if they use a 20% off coupon code and we have to pay an affiliate or an influencer or an athlete X amount of commission, like we can still walk away from that transaction in the in the green like in, in the positive and um i don't i think that's kind of more where we see a lot of things now in this digital era is you you see a lot of these websites that are priced maybe 10 bucks higher than retail um or than their partners for two reasons right you're protecting retail you're protecting those partners but it allows you to uh work on those coupon codes which are i i know speaking to some brands like they're their ratio of transactions from like coupon code without coupon codes, like 75% with the coupon code versus 25% without their business model is built on coupon codes. So they were built on the 75% model, that additional 25%, those people who paid full price, 
that's just padding on the top form and they love that. Yeah. But I mean, it's so that that's another interesting way to look at it too. Like if you see a coupon code, that doesn't mean it's bad perception of the brand quality. It's just, that's the way they built their business structure and, and their model with pricing. And I think that that would be probably like where I go, you know, in terms of like, if I'm built on, if my pre-workout is legitimately a $35 pre-workout and I have it listed for 40 bucks on my site and there's a coupon code for 10%, I'm selling it for what I thought I should sell it for. But if I get 50% of people paying full price, that's just helping me out to, for cash flow and to build build my brand in other ways. Yeah, and I think this idea of the coupon coding as well, I think it's changed with digital where I know for me, I mean, there's there's plugins and things that are just always on your on your browser that'll just make sure that you have the you know coupon codes, um, or it just takes a couple clicks of your keyboard and your mouse to to get towards you know somebody that has a coupon code. So the the only people that aren't using a coupon code are just honestly a little bit probably naive or lazy that they they're, they're out there. Um, so you're seeing at least from a, the digital side. Um, a lot of the couponing is just becoming so easy so that it's just so naturally kind of accepted. People will maybe even be turned off if they can't find a coupon at certain situations. So it might be like a negative. Now, we're talking at this point more like 10%, you know, like a influencer code for 10% off or something like that. You're not going to just have floating codes around there and have 50% off. Or yeah. Unless you're unless you're some affiliate marketing brand that, you know, has uh, you know, four dollar product and a sixty dollar uh, price point, and you have those sixty you know percent off or sixty percent uh, commission codes yeah. or whatever, whatever is going on. So it's um, I think it, for me, I think it's it's um just a part of brand building and business, and it also has to do with the category and how you know how quick the the um, replenishment and a lot of different things that go involved. With it. But I think in the category we're talking about with sports nutrition, nutritional supplements, and all that, um, I think it's just part of how it is. It's just, it's kind of on that fringe of like fast moving consumer goods. It's consumer packaged goods kind of in that, in that realm of like people would just expect to have a, a natural cycle of, of promotions. And there's so many substitutions that if you're not running something and, and it's up the time for replenishment, odds are people will just try something different or try something that's similar because there's not a lot of differentiation to the point somebody's going to go, I'll either wait for a special or I'll buy it at full price because it's so worth it. You don't have as much of that, at least in our category. Yeah. So for final takeaways here for everybody listening here as we as we wrap this up, like for me personally, I feel like do does promotional strategy dictate product quality? Yes and no, I think is my my takeaway. Uh yes, if it's a constant sale, like if it's consistently 50% off, if it's consistently a buy one, get one, and it's been like that for years and that brand's still in business. Well, then that's their pricing model, which means that their product, they're still making money on that BOGO, which means that product is a $4 product to what Josh talked about before. But if it's periodic uh, and it's not all the time, then no, it's just, it's, it's a way to um, influx cash flow. It's a way for mindshare, like Josh said, it's a way to gather new data, to reach new consumers, uh, basically a merch plan in the case, you know, if it's, if there's promotions that run not, cons- not constantly, but more often than not, like then sometimes you, you may question it, but I think at the time, then you just need to know more about that business and what their strategy is and like what they're really trying to accomplish in the case of like Breadcon, where they do run quite a bit of sales, but they're obviously, their quality, nobody questions it, and they have a bigger, broader picture in terms of what why they're doing that, that a consumer probably doesn't understand. That's my takeaway from it. I'd love for you to finish up, Josh, and with your takeaway on the promotion strategy with, with quality of brand and quality of product. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it comes down to, you know, especially with the promotional schedule with the, with the brand, if they're, if they're pushing the lower bound of the category in terms of the consumer's perception of price to quality ratio, like where they think the lowest ones are, if you're pushing that limit, um, you're going to have issues with especially your quality of that product. We're talking about functional type of products as well. So this is, um, this is something that's going to have some element of a uh, effect to your whatever you're trying to accuse. So there is a, a definitely a correlation that you don't want to get too much to that uh, low quality of a product type of perception. I think it doesn't necessarily have much to do with the brand quality if the brand is doing what they need to do to um, actually, you know, build some elements of, of branding in there. If they're not just focused on a continuous flow of, of sales that is going to create cash to them, are they doing the things they need to do to also keep the conversation going outside of just the sales? If they're doing those things, I think they're, you're fine to have a semi-normal uh, promotional schedule. I don't think that has anything to do with uh, anything. And I think it's just so commonplace now today that uh, people expect it. People uh, look for it now. It's not uh, something that's viewed as negative as it as it used to be. So I think there is obviously a correlation to it in certain you know extreme measures in terms of how people are using it. But I think for the most part, if you're responsible with the way you do it, and you, you it's well thought out, and you can figure it out. I'm not sure if it has as much of an effect as people perceive it does, um, especially if they have kind of a dated view of of promotional schedules um, in this current environment. That's kind of my takeaway on it. Yeah, absolutely. Love to hear your guys' take on it too, those within the industry, outside the industry. As a consumer, if you see a sale, like what do you think? What comes to mind? Is it a good deal or do you question the brand quality? So if you have those comments, you can leave them on our YouTube channel uh, under this YouTube video for this podcast. You can leave them on our Facebook page. That's uh, two guys, one shaker cup. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube so that way you can stay up to date with all the new published uh, episodes that we put out, and then write us a review as well if you can. And again, like I said, engage with Josh and I. We'll engage back. We'd love it. Uh, and this is a conversation that I think that deserves some engagement because it is it is open for interpretation to a lot of different people and how they perceive what they think a sale is. So uh, appreciate you all for tuning in to this week's episode. That's Josh Shaw over there. God, Josh. I mean, you are you starting to get a face with TV, my friend. Josh Shaw. <laughs> you might be a future reality TV star. Ryan Buckeye, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Until next week, hang loose. to our podcast we're on itunes spotify podbean stitcher youtube google podcast and more follow us along on our social media channels we're on facebook two guys one cup instagram and twitter